Open your Bibles tonight to Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11. I want to look at Proverbs eleven twenty four and 25. Proverbs eleven twenty four and 25. The Bible says there, There is that scattereth and yet increaseth, and there is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it t- tendeth to poverty. The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. Father, once again, we're thankful for the wisdom of this book of Proverbs. Again, tonight we ask for your blessing. We ask for you to open up our spiritual eyes, give us that understanding we need concerning this matter of generosity. Lord, we know that you say much in your word about being generous Help us to see some principles and precepts from this book of Proverbs concerning that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Title this, title this, title this, title this, we're stuck. All right, well, that's coming up. The wisdom of a generous spirit. The wisdom of a generous spirit. You might have noticed this, and it's, you know, it's pretty obvious that selfishness comes naturally. All you have to do, if you don't believe that, is watch two kids in a nursery. I mean, it's born into us. Selfishness comes naturally. But generosity comes supernaturally. The wise believer holds everything with open hands, thereby reflecting God's generosity. God rewards acts of generosity, but he withholds his blessing from those who refuse to be generous. And so we need to understand Good stewardship includes generosity. Are we there yet? Ah, there it is. All right. The subject of generosity pervades the scriptures. God showed his generosity in the original creation. You say, how so? Well, He placed Adam and Eve in an indescribably beautiful garden and he gave them freedom to enjoy all the magnificence and bounty of that creation. But it didn't end there. God has also shown just tremendous generosity in his work of redemption. By giving his son as our savior, he displayed his generous love for the whole world. No one can look seriously at Calvary and doubt God's generosity. 
Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 9, 15, Thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. Paul alluded to God's extraordinary generosity in 1 Timothy chapter 6. He wrote, God giveth us richly all things to enjoy. And then in Acts 20, verse 35, he attributed the words, It is more blessed to give than to receive to the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, that was Luke who uh, brought that to us. And so those words are ascribed to Christ. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, the book of Proverbs emphasizes generosity, and its teaching is relevant for us Christians. Our generosity ought to contrast sharply with the materialistic ways of the culture that we live in. Generosity should be a constant virtue in our lives. Jesus taught his disciples to be content with food and raiment while on this earth. Their focus was to be on storing up treasure in heaven. And of course, that's the same principle that's supposed to be applied by us. It shouldn't be the trinkets of this world that we're concerned with, but laying up treasures in heaven. Hoarding is contrary to the teachings of Jesus. It's also contrary to the teaching of Solomon, who taught that we should hold God's material blessings with open hands. So we see the principles of generosity is our first big point. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon refers often to the heartaches that hoarding produces. By the way, every time I mention that word hoarding, I can't help but think about the television show Hoarding. How many of you have ever seen that? I can't watch it. It makes me crazy. It does. It makes me crazy. Um, I, I, it's beyond me how people can live that way, but people do. And, and it's, it's, a real, it's a real problem when somebody has that, you know, they're a hoarder. And uh, we had one fellow in our church in Gastonia that really was a hoarder. Now, he was a very neat one. He really was. I, went, I was in his home, and uh, he, had, he had things stacked in every room of his house, but he had trails that you could walk through. It wasn't like he had to walk on top of the trash, but everything was neat and orderly. I remember there was a stack of the newspapers uh, on one corner, and uh, every newspaper looked like it had just come off the newsstand. I mean, it was perfectly folded. He collected, they used to have styrofoam boxes for hamburgers, and he ate hamburgers every day. And he saved the boxes, and they were stacked neatly. Uh, just everything like that. Uh, but when I think of hoarding, you know, that, hmm. But that's not what we're talking about here. We're, t we're talking about just uh, hanging on to everything you can. Uh, in a materialistic way. Now, the book of Ecclesiastes refers often to heartaches that hoarding produces. Uh, go to Ecclesiastes 5, just a couple of pages over. In Ecclesiastes 5, I'll start with verse 10. 
He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. Now let me just stop right there. And the principle there is it's never enough. You know, they asked the rich man, how much money is enough money? He said, one more dollar. All right, let's move on. When goods increase, they are increased that eat them. And what good is there to the owners thereof, saving the beholding of them with their eyes? When the goods increase, they are increased that eat them. You ever notice it seems like the more you make, the more you spend? The more you get, the more you got to take care of. Mm-hmm. Verse 12, the sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eat little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not suffer him to sleep. Listen, rich people got to stay up at night and worry about the money. I know you'd like to have that worry. But seriously, rich people, they can't have peace, are always concerned There is a sore evil which I have seen under the sun, namely, riches kept for the owners thereof to their hurt. But those riches perish by evil travail. And he begetteth a son, and there is nothing in his hand. As he came forth of his mother's womb, naked shall he return to go as he came, and shall take nothing of his labor, which he may carry away in his hand. We didn't bring anything into the world. We're not taking anything out of the world. And this also is a sore evil that in all points as he came, so shall he go. And what profit hath he that hath labored for the wind? And his days also he eateth in darkness, and he hath much sorrow and wrath with his sickness. And so we find here that in Ecclesiastes, the idea that heartaches that riches produce. The book of Proverbs, on the other hand, develops the more positive side of generosity. Solomon observed that those who are eager to share what God has given somehow never lack. I'm going to say that again. Solomon brings out the idea and the principle that those who are eager to share what God has given them will never lack. Uh, Proverbs 11.24 says it. There is that scattereth and yet increaseth, and there is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it tendeth to poverty. So we see, number one, principles of generosity. The reciprocal benefits of generosity. Now the context of verse 24 of chapter 11 indicates that Solomon was referring to the idea of generosity. The word scatter there in that verse, scattereth, uh, has to do with dispersing. And it appears most often in the Psalms. Five out of ten uses of the word occur in the book of Psalms. Of the other five occurrences, one is in Proverbs 11.24. The word appears three times in the prophetical books. Uh, Psalm 147 verse 16 refers to the scattering of the hoarfrost like ashes. It refers to dispersion. At times it refers to dispersion of God's people in captivity. So scattering is dispersing. When I think of scattering, I think of planting grass seed. Any of you ever plant grass seed that way? Or maybe if you ever had chickens, feeding the chickens. 
and just scatter it out there. Well, Proverbs 11 and verse 24 deals with that, that very idea. Let me get back there. There we are. There is that scattereth and yet increase. And you know, to the, to the average unsaved person, that don't make sense. How are you going to scatter and increase? If you want to increase, you got to hang on to what you got and get more. But that's anti-Bible. God has a different set of rules. Now, Solomon used this word scatter to call attention to one who is eager to distribute his wealth rather than hoard it. It, At first glance, we might conclude that this person throws his money around, but the emphasis is on responsible distribution rather than on reckless spending. Of course, Solomon was not dispensing advice on how to make wise business investments. He was applauding the wisdom of good stewardship as shown by a willingness to share what one has with those who are in need. Solomon observed that good stewards wisely put generosity, generously share what they have As a result, they are abundantly blessed. And so God's plan isn't for us to hang on to everything. God's plan is for us to be channels to let things flow through us to help others. Proverbs 11.25 adds another dimension to these reciprocal benefits of, of being generous. The liberal soul shall be made fat. And he that watered shall be watered also himself. That liberal soul, the idea there, if you will, means the soul of blessing. And the concept is that one who is generous will in turn be blessed abundantly. The next statement about watering affirms the truth of Solomon's observation. In that verse, made fat is a figure of speech. And it talks about prosperity. Now, I know I like to think people say, well, you know, you're fat. Well, I'm a liberal soul. (laughs) But that's not what it's talking about. When it it says we'll be made fat, it's talking about having abundance. Um, There's three other uses of this in, in the book of Proverbs, and it's always in the sense of increasing in substance. And that's 13, 4, 15, 30, 28, 25. So the liberal soul shall be made fat. Now, in contrast to the reciprocal benefits generosity accumulates, hoarding leads to ultimate poverty. Solomon said this, And there is that withholdeth more than is meat, but it tendeth only to poverty. The term withholdeth identifies a selfish person. They clutch their substance tightly. They do not appreciate the principle that to give unselfishly is to receive bountifully. Hmm. Let me give that principle again. To give unselfishly is to receive bountifully. Does anybody know a place in the New Testament where we find that principle? How about Luke chapter 6? Let's go over there. 
Luke 6 and verse 38. Let's see what Jesus has to say about it. Has it come to that? In Luke 6, 38, here's the principle of giving. Jesus said, give and it shall be given unto you. Well, there's the first part of the principle. You want to get? Give. Now, I'm not saying just give to get, but if you expect to, to get, you got, you got to be a giving person. Give and it shall be given unto you. Now, watch this. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together and running over, shall men give into your bosom. For with the same measure that you meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. So let's visualize this. If I give with a teaspoon, God will give back to me with a teaspoon. If I give with a cup, God will give back to me with a cup. If I figure this out and I give with a big shovel, God will give back to me with a big shovel. Listen, you'll never outgive God. Maybe you ought to just take the challenge and see if you can. Boy, that'd be interesting, wouldn't it? I heard one time, I, I don't know if it was John Wanamaker or J.C. Penney, one of those two men worked to the place where they were giving 90% of their income and keeping 10%. You don't happen to know which one it was, do you? We think we're doing good to give 10%. Hmm? But what this person found out is the more you give, the more God's going to give you to give. Now, please be careful. I'm not trying to be a, a, a give-to-get type preacher. But the principles are here that if you're a generous person, God's going to be generous with you. If you're a tightwad, God's going to be a tightwad with you. That's the principles here. And we need to understand that. So we're looking at the, uh, the uh, reciprocal benefits of generosity. The term translated withholdeth is used often in the Old Testament. Solomon used it in reference to those who withhold or spare the rod of discipline over in 1324. In such instances, withholding is unwise. However, in other instances, the term relates to wise action. For example, the wise withhold words and are careful in their speech. Although they are rich in knowledge, they dispense words sparingly. So we see this idea of, of withholding. We understand what that's talking about. Now, the second thing we want to see is the righteous expression of generosity. Now we go to chapter 21 of Proverbs. Verses 25 and 26. The desire of the slothful killeth him, for his hands refuse to labor. 
He coveteth greedily all the day long, but the righteous giveth and spareth not. Now, we see here the desire of the righteous or the desire of the slothful. And desire has the idea of craving. So the desire of the slothful, the Bible tells us, killeth him. The lazy person refuses to work. Rather, he spends his time in fantasies. He wants more and, and more possessions. He is obsessed with the thought of gaining wealth. In the end, his obsession kills him. The righteous person, though, works hard, not simply to increase his wealth or possession, but to increase his ability to give. Don't raise your hand. Just think about this. How many of us are really laboring to get more so we can give it? We'll go over to Ephesians for a minute. Hold your place there in Proverbs. Go to Ephesians 4. Look at verse 28. Remember, Paul's writing to Christians, and he says, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor. Well, that sounds logical, doesn't it? The person who was a thief ought to quit being a thief when they get saved and work. But he don't stop there. Excuse me, he goes on. He says, working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth. Paul didn't say stop stealing and get a job so that you can build up a big bank account. He said you ought to stop stealing and get a job so you'll have more to be able to give more. Boy, that's not popular preaching, but it's, it's what the Bible says. The righteous work hard instead of stealing, and their hard work enables them to meet their expenses. They also are able to earn more than they need, thereby making it possible to give to help the needy. Writing to the Corinthians, Paul counseled, and he said this, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. There's that principle. You sow little, you reap little. You sow big, you reap big. It's the principles of giving. He reminded the Thessalonians, For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. And I think we dealt with that with uh, slothfulness here last time. Can you imagine the difference in our country if, if our government enacted that law? If you didn't work, you didn't eat. Hmm? 
the teachings of Solomon and Jesus and Paul all combined to teach that generosity is an attribute of godliness. Generosity produces a reciprocal benefit and it is an expression of righteousness. So we see the principles of generosity. Number two, we want to see the particulars of generosity. The particulars of generosity. Now Solomon's references to generosity were not simply general references. Solomon gave specific instructions about giving. And the first instructions we look at is giving to the needy. Now let's run these three verses here. Chapter 19 and verse 17. He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given will he pay him again. Then I want you to look at 21 verse 13. Whoso stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor, he also shall cry himself, but shall not be heard. 22 and verse 9. Oh, there's four references. I thought there was three. 22 and verse 9. He that hath a bountiful eye shall be blessed, for he giveth of his bread to the poor. And then one more, 28, 27. Twenty-eight, twenty-seven. He that giveth unto the poor shall not lack, but he that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse. I don't know if you've picked up on this as you read your Bible, but you know God has a heart for the poor. Seems like God was always looking out for the poor. I, I, I think about how when he was given the law to the Jews. He told them when they, when they harvest their crops, they weren't to harvest the corners of the fields. Why? You were to leave that for the widows and the poor. And then he said, uh, don't glean, don't, don't go back over and get the, the leftovers, so to speak. Leave that for the widows and the poor as well. So God has a heart for the poor. <laughs> if you're poor here tonight, just think God cares about you. There are advantages to being poor. Hmm? Well, the first thing we see is giving to the needy. Solomon made the poor his primary target of generosity. In several instances, he observed the blessing that comes to those who show generosity to the poor. He also underscored that those who ignore the needy will lack God's blessings. Hmm. Here's a little note. Jesus uttered one of the most abused statements referred to in the New Testament. When Mary anointed his feet with expensive ointment, Jesus said, For the poor always ye have with you, but me ye have not always. And some have assumed that Jesus was belittling help for the poor. But such an interpretation violates the context. 
Jesus did not teach his disciples to ignore the poor. He was simply honoring Mary's worship. As I said, the consistency of the scripture shows off God has a heart for the poor. Solomon addressed the other side of the to give or to withhold issue in Proverbs 28, 27. He wrote, He that giveth to the poor shall not lack, but he that hideth his eyes shall have many a curse. On one hand, the generous man has a good eye. He sees needs and responds to them. On the other hand, the stingy or miserly person hides his eyes. He refuses to acknowledge the needs of the poor. He withholds his goods from the poor. You know, it's easy to ignore the poor. It's easy to look the other way. But that's not how we're supposed to be according to the Lord. In Deuteronomy 15, 9 and 10 and 2 Corinthians 9, 7 and 8, both have commentary on the ideas of generosity and stinginess. Go over there to Deuteronomy 15. Deuteronomy 15. Verses 9 and 10. Beware that there be not a thought in thy wicked heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of release, is at hand, and thine eye be evil against thy poor brother, and thou givest him not. And he cry unto the Lord against thee, and it be sin unto thee. Thou shalt surely give him, and thine heart shall not be grieved when thou givest unto him, because that for this thing the Lord thy God shall bless thee in all thy works and in all that thou puttest thine hand unto. It's a little bit of a long story, but for the Jews, they, they, they could sell themselves to another Jew. Now, they all had certain a certain parcel of land, so to speak. And what they, what they could do is if they get into financial hardship, they could actually sell themselves. Now, how do I do that? Sell themselves, but they could only sell themselves for six years. On the seventh year, everything had to be erased and they had to start all over. So that's what these verses are dealing with. When somebody comes and that you're at, at that sixth year, and see, when they sold themselves, how much they would get was determined by how many years were left before they were set free. Well, here comes some guy. It's in the sixth year. So there's not going to be much time for whoever lends them money to get their money back. But they're supposed to take care of him anyway. Then go over to 1 Corinthians, or I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians. Chapter 9. Verses 7 and 8. Paul writes, every man, according as he prospereth in his heart, 
So let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. What Paul's teaching there is when we have the right attitude about generosity and giving, God is going to take care of us. Now, again, I'm not prosperity preaching, but I'm just, just saying Jesus promised that God would take care of our needs. Matthew 6, uh, that sixth chapter, he deals with the birds and the flowers and all that, and he says, uh, God takes care of all them. Surely he'll take care of you. Hmm. And then according to Proverbs 19, verse 17, God keeps accurate accounts of our giving. Solomon wrote, He that hath pity upon the poor lendeth unto the Lord, and that which he hath given will he pay him again. So we see there God honors generosity. A spirit of generosity bears witness to God's generosity and God's grace. Paul there encourages in, in Proverbs 19, uh, verse 17, uh, that verse parallels Paul's encouragement to the Philippians over there in uh, chapter 4, verse 17, where he said, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. And Paul there realized that God saw the Philippians' generosity as a spiritual sacrifice that he was going to reward. He even said, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Now, a lot of people want to claim that verse, but wait a minute. Wait a minute. There's, there's a con condition put on that verse. When Paul said that, he was talking to people who had been generous in their giving. And they had given to his ministry generously. And he was saying, because you've been so generous, now God is going to supply all your need. So if you want to claim the promise, meet the condition. Amen. Proverbs 21, 13 warns, Whoso stoppeth his ears at the cry of the poor, he also shall cry himself, but shall not be heard. So here Solomon approaches this idea of generosity from the negative side. Those who refuse to hear the cry of the poor will forgo God's blessings. And then giving, I'm sorry, I didn't put this up. Giving to the needy. Now watch this one. Giving to the adversary. We could say giving to your enemy. Well, if that doesn't go against the flesh, I don't know what does. The plight of the needy strikes a responsive chord in many hearts. Many individuals, churches, and charitable groups reach out to help distressed people. However, Solomon widens the circle of generosity to include even our enemies. Go to Proverbs 25. Twenty-one and twenty-two. If thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat, and if he be thirsty, give him water to drink, 
for thou shalt heap coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord shall reward thee. Now, I don't know how it is with you, but with me, I find that hard to put into practice. Taking care and good care of my enemies. Hmm. But that's what God says we're supposed to do. Paul repeated that similar over in Romans 12. I'm going to turn there. You don't need to. I'm going to read it to you. Romans 12 and verse 20. Romans 12, 20. Paul writes, Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Now I hope you understand what that means. When you do good to your enemies, that heaping coals of fire on their head is, is basically you drive them crazy. You make them nuts. What do you mean? Well, they can't figure out why you're being nice to them. And it bugs them. See, to your enemy's understanding, if you're enemies, you should be wanting to get even with them and hurt them back for what they did to you. And when you come at them with kindness and care for them, it, it don't register. It, it, they, can't, they don't know what to do with that. And it heaps coals of fire on their head. Most of the time, they'll think you're up to something. Mm-hmm. Well, we may struggle with the duty of putting the principle into action. We are more prone to want to get even than to show kindness. Nevertheless, we must obey the Bible, even when the commands of the Bible seem difficult. Hmm. One more thing, the practice of generosity. What hinders our generosity? I'm just going to give you a couple of things. You could probably think of more. But number one, selfishness. Being all about me will hinder my generosity. I'll, I'll not be looking through my eyes, through the eyes of the Lord. I'll be looking through my own eyes. I'll be concerned with me rather than ye. Selfishness. Second thing, lack of compassion for the needy. We're supposed to care about the needy. We're supposed to have a heart of compassion when folks are, are poor and needy. So many times we're so wrapped up in, in what we're doing and what we're having, we fail to see that there are folks who are needy. Number three, lack of faith in God's promises. We say we believe the Bible, don't we? Haven't we seen principles in the book of uh, Proverbs that says God will bless those who bless the poor? Do you believe that? 
One more. You have to add this one yourself. And I think this is probably one of the major ones. Previous bad experiences. What I mean by that is you, you've been ripped off by supposedly poor people. That makes you a little gun shy. I told you the story before about the fellow in Gastonia who came to me on a Saturday. I was in my office. Nobody else was around, just me. And I heard this. So I went to see who was at the door. It was a man. Can I talk to your preacher? Sure, what's up? Well, my dad died up in, in uh, Bryson City, and I have to drive up there, and I don't have any money for gas, and, and could, you, could you just give me enough money to fill my gas tank, blah, 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 blah. I said, well, I can't help you. I don't have any money. <laughs> but he was persistent. Oh, I just need enough to fill my gas tank. Don't you even have that? Blah, 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 blah. I'm the only one here. <laughs> Finally, I said, look, I'll go see what I can scrape up. And I went and scratched around in the offices, and I found enough money to buy him a tank of gas. I sent him on his way. Figured I'd never see the guy again. He, before I gave that to him, I, I said, I want your name and address. He said, that's fine. He gave me his name and address. I wrote it down. So I waited a couple of weeks. And then on soul winning night, I said, I'm going to go see this guy. Good soul winning visit. So I got my partner, and we went. We pulled up to where he was supposed to be, and there was no such address. And I thought, you dirty crook. You ripped me off. I said, that's okay. I did it for the Lord. Well, lo and behold, oh, it was probably six months later. The same fellow pulled up in front of the church and came knocking on the door wanting some money. And I said, really? And he had the same sob story. His dad died again. And I said, I was as kind as I could be. I said, you sorry, rascal. I said, you got me once, you're not going to get me again. Whoa, 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 what do you mean? What do you mean? <laughs> you already pulled this on me. You got me. I'm not giving you any more money. Now, situations like that can make you gun shy. Makes you kind of look at everybody as if, as if they're a crook and they want to rip you off. But we've got to be real careful about it. Now, we need to be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. We need to do our homework and be careful. We don't just need to put ourselves out there to be ripped off by anybody and everybody. Amen? But we shouldn't just harden our heart and chalk off everybody as a crook because there are really needy people. And you never know, sometimes you might entertain angels unawares. Hmm. Generosity. I don't know if you knew there was so much in the Bible about generosity, but there is. And God wants his people to be a generous people because he set the example. John 3, 16. Father, thank you for the teaching of your word. 
might we not only hear it, but might we heed it and be a generous people as you would want us to be. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You are dismissed.